Okay, so I was listening to Venture Stories. The title of the episode is A Primer on Marketing Tech. And the uh, the person being interviewed is the founder or the co-founder of this company called Notch. And her name is Adna Ganska. So let's see what we can learn from Adna. Um, so first, what is Notch? Notch is a full-blown analytics and data company that is surveying the largest, co- uh, largest brands in the world. So I went to their website to see how they describe themselves just for a little more detail. And it says, Notch is the independent content intelligence platform that helps CMOs and their teams measure and impact the outcome of their content efforts via real-time actionable intelligence across all their content investment. As you can guess from the writing on the website, they primarily target uh, Fortune 1000 companies. That's why they talk that way. Um, So why is this necessary? Why are so many Fortune 1000 companies uh, turning to content marketing and away and away from other uh, like customer acquisition channels. And so according to uh, Adna, it's content is a better way to connect with your audience. TV ads, outdoor ads, banner ads, etc., have been proven to be ineffective. Content has become an interesting value exchange between a brand and its audience. So I actually definitely agree with that second statement. Um, if you listen to yesterday's uh, podcast, I think Hodinkee is actually a great example of the power of content. Um, what I'm a little skeptical of here, I understand that Fortune 1000 companies have plenty of money to spend, so therefore you can build a, a nice um, you know, business of your own servicing them. But on the podcast, there's a few times, and even on their website, like some of their uh, examples of companies they help are people like Colgate, um, Calvin Klein, uh, Ford, J.P. Morgan Chase, and so my my own personal opinion of this is, uh, I think like, do you really want to to read content from Colgate? I mean, seriously, no, you don't. So um, I I have no doubt that this is a ma- massive opportunity. Um, you could build a business there, but my whole thing is there's a lot of entrepreneurs that that read these notes and listen to these podcasts or listen to founders at least, and um, I just think there's the the opportunity for most people is going to be more in line with like the hodinkies of the world where you find something that you're extremely passionate about, um, something that you like learning about and then share those learnings with other people. You know, I don't think I'm going to be sitting here reading, you know, content or viewing content from Colgate. Um, but I do understand, you know, like I said, you, you can build a business doing so. Um, so it says content is a better way to connect with your audience. I definitely agree with that. So then uh, it talks about like, why did you want to start? Why did you want to start this actual company? And she, she says, B2B is a great fit for me. I have always enjoyed thinking about the strategy of business. I'm able to sit down with our customers, get feedback, and understand them as humans and professionals. This helps me, to, uh, this helps me know which types of products we need to build to address their needs. Um, and interesting enough, Notch started out actually as like a real-time um, analytics company. And they were uh, first uh, headquartered in Silicon Valley. So at the time, they were basically trying to, to survey consumer apps to see how people felt about a topic in real time. Um, so it could be about a brand. It could be about an event. And they, they actually pivoted to this uh, analytics and data company, which actually centered around content marketing. Um, but the, the interesting part, the reason I bring that up is because uh, she was asked, like, what's the difference in running a company uh, in New York as compared to when you were in Silicon Valley? So a few years ago, they moved to Silicon Valley because you're closer to the media and the marketing agencies. Or excuse me, moved to New York because you're closer to the media and marketing agencies. And so her response to this question I thought was funny. And she said, when we were in Silicon Valley, we were an echo chamber of buzzwords. <laughs> um, uh, she was asked the question, what problem were you trying to solve? And I think 
this is uh, this problem is actually really interesting. So she says the human incentives around the marketing ecosystem have been flawed for a long time. So she calls it marketing tech. She considers Notch a marketing tech company. Uh, what she's describing here, I think most of us know as ad tech. Um, but I think there, she's, uh, she's dead on about this. The human incentives around the marketing ecosystem have been flawed for a long time. You assume data flow is perfect. It's not. And this is this blew my mind here. Uh, all the reporting is di- being done by the distribution channel, Facebook, Snapchat, any other media company, etc. This is like you being able to grade your own homework, which I thought was hilarious. This is completely crazy. Um, so um, that, that was the the description of the landscape that the industry she's working in, uh, how it was and largely still is and what she's trying to change. And then this is the value proposition of her company, which I think is just, it's a really good, succinct way to sell somebody. So she said, she goes to brands. So we said to the brands, we go to the brands and said, wouldn't you rather have your own collection tagging across all of your advertising? Meaning, don't you want to know if the numbers that you're getting back from Facebook and Snapchat, et cetera, are actually accurate? And she says, so you can verify that data that you're getting back is accurate? They said yes. Uh, so the brand said yes, but they won't let us, meaning the advertising uh, channels won't let us. It's like, And uh, this part was was uh, particularly humorous to me. She said, I told them you were the one spending the money. You should ask for it. Like most things, um, when you're the one that is that is footing the bill, like you have the power. So you shouldn't take no for, no, get out of here. I, wanna, I want some uh, third a way to verify that the data you're actually giving me is correct because what she was saying on the podcast is, you know, like they can massage and make the data, make them look as, as, as positive, like as good as possible. Um, so she said, so that is what we've been doing, creating, vi- and this is exactly the, what Notch's um, pitch to, to the brands are. We're creating visibility and transparency across all these different channels that brands are doing content advertising with. And she feels she, there's a massive opportunity um, uh, in front of her because content right now is the fastest growing category in advertising. And again, I'm going to reference yesterday's podcast on Hodinkee. Um, they sold, what, $1.6 million worth of watches from one blog post in 20 minutes and then had 400 other people signing up saying they would have bought, bought them as well. And I think that, that piece was like something like $35,000. So you can see if it, when it's done correctly, like how powerful it is. This also made me think of, uh, I was taking notes on a podcast with uh, one of the founders of Gimlet. It's actually in the archives. If you go back and look in Founders Notes, you can read this if you haven't done so already. And he made the interesting point um, about why so many brands are going to like Gimlet. So Gimlet would do, not like they do like advertising in, in inside of a podcast, but they would do like branded advertising. So maybe, um, I, th- I think the one example, uh, there was like a, a podcast for a security company and the entire content of the podcast was about like how easy it is you are like for for people to get your personal information. Um, but anyways, let me just read this quote. He says, he says, the people listening to podcasts are really hard to reach. Our word for the audience, the un- the unreachables. The median age of of the podcast listeners is 31 years old. They watch t- they watch television, but do it on Netflix and Amazon so they don't see ads. They're on the internet all day, but 65% of them use ad blockers. And so that was his pitch to saying, hey, our ads are effective because they're native and midstream and, and good. Um, so this whole idea that, you know, more, it, it's not surprising when more people are, um, kind of turning away from advertising, like traditional advertising, banner ads, um, 
and the like that they're they're moving more towards content where it is a little bit more native um so she she uh the host eric was saying hey like why why is this such an important thing and he's like and her her response to him was a question he's like do you use an ad blocker he's like yeah sometimes so well the majority of people do so therefore like content in her opinion content is a future of advertising so again, my own personal opinion, not that it matters, but you're listening to me talk, is I would love to see more Hodinkies in the world and less Colgates in the world. <laughs> um, okay, so another way of running her business, which I, th- which I found particularly interesting because it kind of goes in the face of everything you're told, is uh, we have been extremely disciplined about not doing trials. Everything we sign is a 12-month contract at least. At least. It is, an, it is enterprise software. You pay a flat fee. Because of this, we never have the issue of the fluctuating, unpredictable revenue traditional ad tech companies experience. And I think that's a lot easier to do because she's working with large companies. She's meeting with them. There's like a longer sales process. And at the end of that sales process is, you know, a, a contract as opposed to, you know, self-serve. You just sign up on, on a website. You want to test out what you're, uh, what you're signing up for. Um, and so now we're going to get to her big vision, which uh, I found interesting. She said, my big vision is transparency. Um, uh, it's to use our product as an empowering, empowering mechanism for consumers to have more control over what data gets shared with brands and what happens with that data. So right now she's only on one side of that transaction. She's just getting the data that's collected from media companies to brands, right? But she's like, why, why can't this be used for consumers? Why don't you know what every single, uh, website you go to or brand that you, um, interact with, what they know about you? And so she says, to, for this to happen, more legislation around privacy and data collection would need to happen before brands would want to do this. And she thinks this is actually inevitable. She thinks uh, GDPR is just the first iteration. She thinks California is going to have their own version of GDPR uh, soon, and that this trend will continue around the world, especially as we see more and more um, of these, you know, uh, the stories coming out. Usually, right around uh, Facebook has been happening the last few months. And uh, this is, I think, is unbelievably uh, important and really smart for anybody building any kind of company is you don't want to build on somebody else's platform. Um, You might want to use that as a distribution channel, maybe uh, siphon that off into an email list or into, I mean, that's why I like podcasts so much because there's nobody sitting between me and you. You subscribe to the podcast, there's no third party. If you subscribe, that's an RSS feed, you're going to get every single podcast that I I publish. Um, Same with email. Um, I love these open protocols. It's why, you know, I spend so much time producing content uh, just in these, in like on these protocols. So she says, um, this is her opinion on this. Brands are becoming aware of the downsides of having your entire marketing strategy on a channel that actually owns your audience. Two references. This applies for much more, but she was using specific examples of Facebook and Amazon. It says, uh, so these, uh, you know, this downside of having your entire marketing strategy on a channel that uh, actually owns your audience and gives you no data. There's going to be more investment into your owned and operated properties. And so an owned and operated property, let's look at, exam- again, the example of Hodinkee. Um, they're, they're primarily, it's their website. Um, they have a mailing list, which is, again, an open protocol. They have a podcast. Um, I know they do produce content for other things, but it's all pushing back to the properties that they own. So their Instagram pushes back to their website. Uh, their YouTube pushes back to their website. So everything goes back to your own and operated property. It's completely different than, you know, a lot of these people that have built businesses on top of, let's say, you were a publishing company and getting all the traffic from Facebook. Well, when they choose their, they changed their algorithm a few months ago away from, like, news content, your business exploded. 
Um, it's a very volatile and I think, uh, for lack of a better word, dumb way to build a business. Because uh, you're just, you're building, you're spending all this time and effort and money and, you know, at the whim of one company, they can just destroy you. And part of the, what I love about um, the fact that I have a business history podcast with uh, founders is that you see this throughout history, that this is not any, any, anything new. And that if you're building something, you want to have as much control as possible um, and not just rely on like the good graces of other people. So, all right. If you want to listen to the full podcast, I will link it in the email and I will be back tomorrow and we'll be learning from another founder.